Welcome to Sobriety Checkpoint. I'm your host, Felicia Hermley. I'm a 12-stepper turned therapist. I'm married and I have two littles under five. I love Jesus, but have had my fair share of struggling with church culture and religion. I know what it's like to be stuck in a restless, irritable, and discontent rut, drunk and sober. In this podcast, you're going to find solutions to navigating mental health, spirituality, and relationships to experience the peace you've been craving. It's time for that desperately sought-after solo target run. Grab your keys and let's go for a drive. There's no judgment or breathalyzer at this sobriety checkpoint. All right. So welcome back to another episode of Sobriety Checkpoint. I'm super excited to have Marcy Hopkins with me today. I'm excited about her sharing her story. Marcy is the author of Chaos to Clarity, Seeing the Signs and Breaking the Cycles. This is a must-read book for anyone struggling with sobriety and motherhood. I was instantly drawn in and in tears on page two. As I read the words on the page, I felt like I was in the room with her six-year-old self. The way she tells her story makes you feel connected to her, like you know her. Her authenticity and vulnerability throughout the pages is awe-inspiring and helps you feel like you're not alone. The book is laid out into sections that you can easily refer back to if there's a particular theme that you want to revisit. When I spoke with Marcy last month, we discussed the reality of mommy wine culture, and she wants moms to know they don't have to lose themselves during motherhood. She has experience with using alcohol to cope with loneliness and how to find space to not lose yourself and still be a parent. Through her recovery journey, she has found new ways of coping, learning balance, and not spreading herself too thin, as well as letting go of perfectionism. If you relate to living life, looking forward to your 5 p.m. glass of wine, then this episode is for you. And that is enough out of me. I definitely want to hear all from you the rest of our time together. So, Oh, no. (laughs) I just want to say thank you so much. You actually brought me to tears just to know that my book and my story touched you in that way. And it was so important for me to write the book in a way that you could refer back to, and it was easy to digest. And I just really wanted to connect to the person reading it, that it was not about me. It was about helping others through my story. So thank you for all that you said. It really, really touched me. Well, I love that. It it comes across in, in the way that you intended. So if you could maybe start off with if you could just share a little bit about what it was like for you growing up and some reasons that, you know, led you to drink. Yeah. So there were multiple things that happened. I will say that abandonment was a big part of my story. My mother and my father were not there for me. And that was very difficult for me. My mother chose partying and men over me. Um, Now she was very young. It must have been very hard for her to be a parent at 19 years old. But all that I saw as a little girl was her always choosing a man over me. And 
her boyfriend when I was six years old with the story that you're talking about where I start the book and you feel like you're in the room. That was her boyfriend. His name was Tim. And they partied all the time and she would bring me over to his house. And I was always very uncomfortable. I was never at ease. And they would party all night long. And so I would be left for hours upon hours in the morning and I got into some mischief. I, you know, took some coins out of a Tootsie Roll bank that originally I thought was candy. And when I took these coins out, after about an hour, my mom's boyfriend came in, was going to try to give me that bank and notice that it was very light. And I didn't even know what the money was worth. I just knew that silver money was of more value than the copper money. And when he saw that the the coins were not in there and I said that his roommate must have taken them, he did not believe me. And he took me into his bedroom where my mother was in bed and began to beat me in front of her while she just, I'll never forget that image of my mother just laying there. That day we had a family party and I was told to not share with my grandparents and I ultimately did. I was black and blue and my grandparents gave me an option to live with them or go back with my mother. And at six years old, I had to make this decision, a huge life decision at six years old. So I ended up staying with my grandparents. And during that time, I was very grateful, but again, always feeling that my mother never tried to rescue me, tried to take me back. And my grandfather had a terrible temper. So I dealt with that a lot. And that was oftentimes very scary. There was a lot of screaming and then you would act as if nothing happened the next day. So through that, you you don't learn to sort through your feelings. You don't learn to communicate. You learn to shove everything down and you're afraid to have a voice. So those were things that I learned during that time. And then when my mother ultimately got remarried, this was at that time, I guess, that was her third marriage when I was 12. I was so happy. I thought that this gentleman was going to be, well, I say gentleman loosely now, but I thought he was going to be my father, knight in shining armor, bring us this amazing family. And sexual abuse began. I started failing out of school. I wanted to end my life. And during that time, I found drinking. When I drank, it was an escape. Well, the first time I drank, I was like, it was just like you were able to not think about all of the pain you were in. You could try to shove it down as much as you want to, but it was always there trying to bubble to the surface. And with alcohol, it would just make it go away for a little while. I struggled with that off and on, bad relationships, drinking, for the majority of my life. That was how I coped when I left high school at 18. I I drank every day of my life for the most part, except for a few little intervals where I had gotten in trouble and tried to quit drinking and such. But for the most part, alcohol was my answer. And my, my mother actually showed me, even at eight years old, to drink if I had a stomach ache when I couldn't sleep uh, at her boyfriend's house and I, I felt very uncomfortable. She would give me like half a sleeping pill. So these were things that I were I was starting to learn that 
that a drink or a drug was an answer. So I, I carried that on, carried that on for a lot of years. I was 44. Now, one of the things that you talked about in your book, and I mean, this is something that I feel like I could relate to as well, was your first addiction of seeking affection from people. And because I think that this is something that a lot of listeners could relate to, can you talk a little bit about about that, just seeking attention and affection from other people? So I think there's there's a few things that that come from that. I think abandonment and the sexual abuse. The sexual abuse made me look at love in a different way. So I I thought men or boys just wanted me for what was on the outside. So I would seek attention and do things that I was not comfortable with a lot of times just to get what I thought was going to be love from someone. And the abandonment created problems within relationships because I was always afraid they were going to leave. So I ultimately always needed a boyfriend in my life. I was always seeking a boyfriend while I was in the relationship. It was always very volatile. There was a lot of yelling and reaction. And as I talked about before, it was very difficult. I mean, I just went straight to rage. Generally, the person I was with was not a good person. They they were either very, I'd say, abusive in their own right. And through relationships, what I would do is I would find someone, I would get involved. And then if I were not receiving what I thought that I deserved, because I always had this idea of what I thought I deserved, even though I really... I really didn't know what I deserved. It, it didn't ever look really good. But if I didn't feel that they were giving me the attention or I felt maybe they were stepping outside of the, the relationship, even if they weren't, I would begin to step out of the relationship. I would find someone else. So that would bridge me from not feeling anything from leaving that relationship to beginning a new relationship. So I was constantly in this cycle of finding someone, staying with them as long as I could, trying to change them because that I didn't have to look at myself and always needing someone in my life to try to validate me and fill the emptiness inside of me. And then when I felt that I could just could no longer handle the abusive relationship, I would step out and find someone else and then break it off with them. So I had no feelings of leaving that relationship. I was always very guarded. I had many, many walls up around me because I was always going to hurt you before you hurt me. But I always had to be in a relationship. I didn't know how to be alone. You used the word bridge going from one relationship to the other, right? The, the, the next relationship was a bridge from the first one. And uh, you also talked about alcohol being a bridge, you know, kind of transitions in life, going from one thing to the next. And you talked about a pattern of just leaving one thing to the next, one thing to the next, and alcohol being that bridge in the middle. And I don't know if there's more you can say about that and just life transitions. Yeah. So one thing that would, would happen often, first off, another part of my childhood is that I moved very frequently. 
So with me moving schools, moving towns, moving houses, it was very hard for me to connect to people because people became replaceable, right? Because I didn't, I had no ties. I didn't know how to create foundations and strong relationships. So when I would get into these relationships, so I guess the drinking would elevate when things would get bad. Once the drinking got really bad, the relationship got really bad. I would make a change, whether it was a person, a place, and try to make a new start. And then my drinking, while it would be really bad in that one relationship, I would try to tame it in the next relationship until the drinking got bad again. Because for me, if things were going pretty well, yes, there was drinking, but it was for fun. But in the end, when I was extremely unhappy in a relationship, the drinking was to escape. So I guess the escaping in that relationship would be the drinking, but then the bridge while I was still drinking would be the fun with the other person. And then I could start to tame it a little bit, but then it would always elevate again when things would get very difficult. And again, with the drinking, everything was extremely volatile because everything went to the rage in me would come out. Quite frankly, now that I'm older and wiser and sober, I can see now that probably how I would react and the drinking created this very volatile uh, scenario in these relationships you know, in this environment. Absolutely. You said that you got sober when you were 44. Mm -hmm. And we talked a bit about, you know, last month about mommy wine culture and can't not being able to wait till that 5 p.m. glass of wine. I'm wondering if you could share about maybe the, the period of time before sobriety, motherhood, life, career, stressors, perfectionism, things like that. Absolutely. I actually did very well, believe it or not, within work. I mean, it sounds like the drinking was, con- it, it was every day, but it wasn't like I was waking up drinking. It wasn't like it was destroying my life. Maybe in my younger years when I was young and wild and crazy. But once I did find my path, which was in television, I did start to make a commitment to my work. So I would work during the day, but of course, when I got off, I would drink. So that was the pattern. You know, it's kind of like the reward when you get home, you have your wine, make dinner. There were times that I would go into work with very little sleep. And of course, this was in my 20s, you know, just trying to survive that time. And, you know, when I, I remember like maybe getting a couple of hours of sleep and trying to go in and do my job, very, very hard, but somehow doable in in your twenties. But I did well. I started off in operations. I got my foot in the door for a company called Liberty Sports Communications. Fox and Liberty merged. I became the program manager for uh, Fox Sports Rocky Mountain, moved to Denver. Then I moved to LA 
I ultimately became the director of on-air promotions. I found my husband, but I will say that even early on with that relationship and when we got married, I did not know really, again, what love really looked like. I knew, right, we're taught this path. You go to college, you have your job, you find your husband. And I thought he was an amazing man. I thought that I loved him and I thought that he loved me, but then I didn't think he loved me. You know what? There were things that he did. And so it was a hard time, but also a good time. I I was doing, I again had a great job and I was getting married. I mean, I thought that I was now in my early thirties going to live a really good life. I'd gotten through my twenties. I got through my teens. So I was now on a trajectory of living a really good life, I thought. But I will say every single day, it was drinking when I got home from work and making dinner. And that just was the habit. And then when I got married, we had children. I then found friends that we could have mommy and me dates and we were drinking wine. And I hear very often from women you know even in a in a joking way about you know the 5 the 5 o'clock time waiting for that 5 o'clock and being able to start to have their glass of wine and it may start with one glass then it's two glasses and it's it's a way to get through a time that can be very lonely very hard it's something we don't know what we're doing. We're, we're thrown into this motherhood, this role in our lives. And we may love our children so much and unconditionally, and we may be very happy, but then it's also, there's so many hormones going on. Uh, we maybe we left a job that gave us validation. Like there's so much change that's happening. So when you have that glass of wine, finally, maybe at five o'clock, there's a sense of ease. There's a calmness that you think that you feel. But what happens when you start to have that five o'clock glass of wine? One, you become dependent on it. Two, you think that it is calming you. And actually, sometimes you can feel like it's giving you more energy. But really what it's doing is... It's inhibiting you from actually being present, it making good decisions, feeling your best tomorrow. I mean, we're already struggling because we're not getting great sleep. When you drink, you do not sleep well. It affects your REM cycles and it truly does affect how you feel the next day. And believe me, I drank my wine at night. I got up in the morning, I did my exercising, I did what I needed to do, I was involved in the school, I was very, very involved in everything that my children did, but the the constant was every single day, I had my glass of, of wine at five o'clock, and I couldn't wait for it, and I hear, I hear that very frequently. How did that impact the way that you showed up for those things. You did all the things, you were at the events, you were there with the kids. How did that impact how you showed up? Well, in the beginning, I didn't feel that it impacted me in a negative way at all. I was I was doing what I saw others do and I 
was it drinking to a point that I was not there for my children? I was always there. Um, I read them their stories at night. I put them to bed. I made dinner every night. I played with my children. Now, could I have been there more? Could I have been there more present as a sober person? Well, like I am today. Yeah. I mean, I, I almost wish that I could be a mother. I am a mother, but my children are 18 and 20 now. But I wish I could kind of do a do-over with an infant completely sober sober and of sound mind because, wow, what an incredible mom. I thought it was good, but how great I could be if I were that sober mother. And I'm not saying that it's bad to have a glass of wine. None of those things I am saying. But what can happen is you can become dependent and make choices that you may not make if you weren't choosing to have that wine. So for instance, I'll just share, I just was on um, a trip with my mother. My mother's deceased. That that was a Freudian uh, little (laughs) slip there, wasn't it? I wish my mother would have been there for me. So when we went on this trip this last weekend, one of the evenings they would have this happy hour from three to five. And that would have been huge for me. I would have loved to have been there. I would have been there. And I would have just left my daughter to do whatever, like, you know, go hang out in the room and watch TV. But being sober, I was not, it's not that I couldn't have gone and been social because I can be very social and enjoy my time in social situations without alcohol. But what I did do was make a choice to go work out with my daughter and go to the spa with my daughter and sit in the sauna and sit in the whirlpool. And for me, it was so much more rewarding. I was just thinking to myself in those moments, like, I get this time with my daughter. Instead of choosing to go be with other people that I don't know well, just so I could drink. I mean, when we used to go on vacations all the time in the Bahamas, it would, my kids go play on the beach because it was more important to me to go drink and be social with the adults. You can do both. Thank you so much for listening. Come back next week to hear part two of Marcy's story, where we will dive into alcohol being a problem in her life, turning points, experiencing and accepting love, healthy coping skills, and Marcy's book, Chaos to Clarity. See you next week. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Before you go, please subscribe and leave a five-star written review. Reviews help boost my ratings, which helps other parents in recovery find my show. If you're interested in emotional sobriety coaching, please reach out and schedule a call. Check out the show notes for my contact info and social links. Don't forget to like, follow, and share with a friend. I'm super excited to know this podcast is helping you. Tune in Thursdays for the latest episode. I'll see you back here on your next Target run. Until next time. We are stronger than we think we are. So fight and show your strength. I can show you the way. All I can do is tell you my truth. Good and grace from our God. Good and grace from our God. Cause we are. 
stronger than we think we are. So fight and show your strength. Good and grace from our God. Good and grace from our God. Good and grace from our God. Oh, good and grace from our God. Oh, 